Why do you love it so much? I think if you own your own business, you have to be prepared to take risks. Being a woman doesn't hold you back from achieving success. Yep, so if you're struggling, just stop and pause and, and really reflect on why am I struggling here. But I've also worked really hard and telling me it's luck, I think, just takes away some of that recognition of the hard work. One last question. Welcome to Tea with the Queen, a show where I talk with some of my favourite go-getters, inspiring and courageous women in leadership and business. I'm your host, Emma McQueen. I'm a business coach, executive coach, author and speaker. And for 20 years, I've been working with women to unlock their potential and get paid their worth while doing work they love. Universities and other tertiary colleges can be expensive, can't they? Not only that, but they also often have a cookie cutter, one size fits all approach where you're just another student number. Sure, you can get your certificate or qualification by just showing up, but do you learn anything? The College for Adult Learning was formed in 2009 to counter all that to provide real, practical, tailored programs. Today's guest is the college's new CEO, Sarah Sabell, who simply loves her role, enjoys her team and helping people accelerate their careers with further education. We chat about how she handles the pressure and expectations of being a CEO, how COVID has affected the industry, and she has plenty of advice for anyone who's looking to improve themselves and their careers. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us on Tea with the Queen. I know my audience is going to be thrilled with what you've got to share with us today. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. Tell us about the beginning of College of Adult Learning. Why was it set up and how is it different from, say, TAFE or universities? Well, it was actually set up to be different from the TAFEs and the universities, the dual sectors. We really wanted to cater for the mid-career adult professional worker who comes back to formal study with a lot of experience and we wanted to be able to give the credit for that vast amount of experience when they come back to us. So we wanted to offer a really highly flexible and affordable product to those people. Yeah. Is the problem with some courses at university that they are heavy on the abstract, you know, the technical the theoretical, but a bit light on the practical and hands-on learning? I think that definitely used to be the case. It is becoming less like that, which is good. Um, I think you'll find now the gap between the certainly like a bachelor degree and the diploma is less, which is really good. There are some other sort of significant differences between the universities and the TAFEs and the, and the private sector. Yeah, right. And who are your students? I don't need names. (laughs) I have a list. (laughs) Are they looking to improve their current skills or are they looking for a complete career change or a complete career entirely? They're predominantly mid-career professionals who are generally setting out to improve, get better jobs, get promotions or change their careers. I think we have three fairly distinct kind of cohorts or groups, if you like. We've got the professional who's looking to improve their skills, get a better job, go for a career, a career change or a promotion. So you're looking at sort of your HR manager in that respect. Then you've got the tradie 
who's really experienced, been hands-on, on the tools for their whole career, and now they've realised or potentially their bodies have realised that they need to get off the tools. So they're looking to change from working on a project and in a project to managing the project. So here you're looking at your project management diploma or your construction management diploma. And then more so these days we're seeing also an aspirant student who's coming in and looking for a change and they might not have as much experience in that industry. So to give you an example, we had um, a hairdresser who came in and had been running her own business for many years and really wanted to look at changing her career and getting out of hairdressing. And she came in and initially wanted to do sort of a generic sort of business diploma. And we found down the track that she was actually really, really well suited to HR. She had those skills. She'd been recruiting and and running her own business for a really long time. So she actually did really well in the diploma of HR and was able to pivot her career in that direction. So these students might need a few more course transfers to get them in the right diploma with the right set of units. But they're really excited to sort of sink their teeth into something new. Yeah, I love that. I love that people have a chance to recreate themselves. Mm, Yes. And as we know, I don't know what the latest research is. Maybe you would know more than what I would know. But nowadays, the career changes, there's like seven or eight career changes per Mm -hmm. person. Is that right? Mm. What's the the numbers on that? Do you know off the top of your head? I don't know off the top of my head, but it's massive. You know, long gone are the days of having the same job for decade after decade. And not just are we changing careers because we want to. COVID is a perfect example of changing a career because we have to, but also because we want a new experience. We're having more and more people who want to start up their own thing. There's more of an entrepreneurial spirit around wanting to work for themselves and the opportunities are so vast. And I love seeing people really stretching themselves and Mm. wanting to see how far they can go. Yeah, beautiful. And your role, I mean, you took up the baton of CEO this year. Yes. The official title of CEO. (laughs) Uh, That's that's an enormous amount of responsibility. Tell me, what was your own path to where you are now? Well, it was a fairly long and windy one. Back in 2009, my parents started this business and they brought me on as their first employee in admin. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And at the time I was like, oh, I don't want to be in education. Thanks. That's not my thing. I've got a degree in drama and I'm a barista and I don't know what I'm doing with my life, but it's not going to be education. Thanks very much. But I'll help, (laughs) I'll help you out. You know, I'll throw you a bone sort of thing. So I started in like literally at the bottom. I didn't know anything about education. I didn't know what a unit of competency was. I didn't know what a training package was. I didn't know anything. And so I started just getting all of our paperwork together so we could be audited for our initial registration. And then as we started taking on students, we were fully face-to-face. So we were running classes, workshops, five days a week. So I started with coordinating those workshops, getting the resources ready, making coffees, that sort of thing. I even, when I think back to it, was doing Google AdWords and bit of, it makes me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. And then as we grew, I actually started presenting and doing some of the training. Then as we shifted to more online, I was more of a junior coach. So I was welcoming our students and making sure they were set up for study. Then I did my cert for NTAE and took on more of the assessing and the coaching. Then I moved into product 
where I was writing and producing our content. Then I actually ran the L&D training and assessing department and our product department. Through that whole time, I was getting my head around compliance. So as an RTO, we have 15 standards that we have to adhere to, to keep our license. So I was getting to know those intimately. Um, So I took on the whole of the compliance side. And then I was running the whole of the education side of the business as the associate director. So I was in charge of all of the content and product, all of the training and assessment, and all of the compliance. And now I'm here. Amazing. With a few little breakdowns in in between. (laughs) (laughs) What made you want to take the CEO gig and did you always want it? I actually didn't always want it. I did that classic kind of tantrum throwing, you can't make me sort of (laughs) when, you know, my parents were seriously starting to talk about uh, me taking over and I didn't know if I wanted it. So I actually took a lot of time off and went overseas to travel which ended in a blood clot in my brain in disaster and was sent home. And my mum, I'll never forget, said to me, you know, I don't know what you're expecting, you know, expecting this eat, pray, love moment where there's a lightning bolt crashing down and the universe tells you what to do. And she's like, that doesn't happen in real life. Oh, my heart was breaking. (laughs) So I had to really do some sort of serious soul searching about it wasn't really whether I wanted the job. It was an incredible opportunity to be offered the job. But whether I was up for it, I think, for me personally. And then I can't tell you exactly when, but there came a point when I just thought, you know what, I do want it and I actually am capable of it. And then that really shifted for me. I will never forget our first conversation we had. I was in in Sydney at a train station and you called me and I'm like, how did you find out about me? She's like, I just Googled you. (laughs) Yeah, But then I got to come into the office because your mum wanted to meet me to make sure I wasn't (laughs) (laughs) woo-woo, which I loved. And your mum was like, I'm sure she was just searching for other things. But we won her over at that meeting. and (laughs) Yeah, we did. And I think that was was a real turning point for me because I had gone out on my own to find the support and the mentoring and the help I needed outside of my family unit and outside of my sort of very insular life. Uh, and I really took it upon myself to say, all right, well, if I'm going to do it, I have to really be all in and give myself every opportunity to do it as well as I can. And I think that was the first sort of step of my 100% commitment into doing it. Well, good on you because there's a lot of people and a lot of CEOs who don't realise that they need that support at any point. Mm. And, you know, we see their growth stunted or we see them losing staff and all that kind of stuff. So I thought it was super brave of you just to pick up the phone and go, hey, I'm Sarah. <laughs> Let's work together. Help me. Help me, please. (laughs) What's a typical day like for you? Oh, are we talking like typical lockdown day or (laughs) non-lockdown day? Let's go with (laughs) non-lockdown. Okay, good. Yeah, I don't think you want to hear about my lockdown day. (laughs) Um, Typical non, yeah, uh, I get up pretty early. I'm up at about 5.15. I like to exercise early in the morning with my coach online. My dog, Dudley, must be at the dog park by 7 to see his friends. Mm-hmm. So we go there seven days a week. Does he tell you that? Yeah. <laughs> okay. If we're five minutes late, he's very, very upset. Okay. And then when I'm in the office, I spend easily 80% of my time talking to people, mm. walking around, getting to, I mean, not getting to know them, I know them really well, but just chatting with them. And it is hands down the best part of my job, getting to know where everyone's at and how they're feeling and what's going on in all the different departments. And then I'm in a stack of meetings and I know people like 
give meetings a really hard rap, but I actually really like them. I really like being able to get like cross-functional teams together and look at how we can solve problems differently and get different perspectives. I mean, as long as, you know, they're good meetings, um, I do enjoy them. And then towards the end of the day, I get to actually start my work, which is really heavily seated in research and reading, which is my ultimate all-time favourite thing to do. And then sort of consolidating what's happening out there, what's happening in industry, what's happening in education, you know, what's on the horizon, what do we need to be looking at with our product and our delivery and our support. So, yeah, always just searching and and reading and looking at what's coming next. I know the learner in you, man, you could just keep learning, couldn't you? I just, I love it. Uh, I love it so much. And then if I'm not in bed with lights out at 10.30, I will be asleep anyway. So it's best if I'm lying down because I'll obviously. (laughs) (laughs) How many, just for our audience, how many staff do you have? 54. And are they all over the place or are they? They're all over the place. We've got a couple in Queensland, Tassie, Geelong, all over, all over Australia, really. And how do you handle the pressure and the expectation of the role? Sometimes not very well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) but at least you're honest right it's all about being yourself yeah I mean look it's it's a big job in a really successful company within a really important industry especially now you know going through what we're going through which is potentially the biggest event in our generation and the power of education to shift and change lives is is immense so it can be overwhelming when I think about it from that big picture. So I have to practice every day eating the elephant one bite at a time and really just looking at what I'm doing right now that I'm in control of and just doing that one or two things really well and rather than trying to do everything all at once. And I guess when the pressure and the expectation gets on top of me, I just remember what I'm doing here. I love this job and I love this business and I love my employees and I love education. You know, when I think back to 2009 when I was like, no thanks, I just love it. It has genuinely become my passion. So I can just sort of step back and remember what I'm doing here and why I'm doing it and then it does sort of uh, give me some perspective. I think there is this expectation that if you're a CEO, you've got your shoes together. And I think that that's, <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's not true. It's, it's never true, right? You might have your shoes together in one moment and in another moment something just could go horribly wrong. I know for you COVID has thrown a spanner in the works in terms of workforce and it's just a nightmare, et cetera, et cetera. Has it thrown a spanner in the works on how you've delivered your courses or are you just doing things differently than you were before? We went completely online in 2014. So we've spent those years really honing our product and our delivery and our student support. So in terms of what the students experienced, it didn't change at all for them. We actually hired 12 new people during COVID to keep up with the amount of people who were making the most of the time and were studying, which was just incredible. But as we sort of, you know, scurried off like little cockroaches out of our office into our homes to bunker down, nothing really changed for us outwardly, which was amazing and really 
great for our students and great for us. Internally, um, there was a bit of work to do around communication and connection. You know, the, the wheels kind of, I mean, they didn't fall off, not, not at all, but we had to work really hard at communicating. And those first few weeks, oh, like just nearly killed me. I was exhausted because you have to make such an effort to communicate. And I think it was clear sort of how lazy we got with our communication and how it was just off the cuff and if it was there was convenient. Yeah. So we had to work really hard. You almost relied on water cooler chatter, right? Yeah, you did. Yeah, so we had to work really hard at getting back together, having really good, robust conversations, making that time for each other and our teams. So I think when we got over that and we sort of found our groove, that was really, really great. I mean, all our employees handled it like absolute legends. They were so, so, so good, scarily good. So I was like, oh, my God, we could live separately forever. You know, we're so good at it and it was a bit frightening. And I think for us the biggest difference now and how we're functioning is that we've implemented a permanent hybrid work policy uh, where we ask that employees are in sort of two days a week in the office depending on their job functions and their teams. And I can't see a time when we'll go back to being that five-day-a-week, nine-till-five business. And that was a big shift for us. We've never done that before. It was a big mindset shift for how that, feels and what that meant and there was a bit of personal weirdness for me oh you know does that mean they hate us if they don't want to come in the office or what does that say about us you know it was a very interesting moment to go through as an individual and as part of a community and as a boss it's like wow there's like just a lot sort of happening yeah and I think you're not alone I think it feels lonely, but you're not alone. I think there's a lot of corporate Australia didn't think they could let their people work from home. They didn't trust them not to put a load of washing on. They didn't trust them to do this, they trust them to do that. And then all of a sudden we had to do it just because that's the, that was the nature of the beast. And now they're giving away their offices and they're like, we'll just work from home, which is fine. And some of them are doing hybrid. Some of my clients haven't gone back ever, are never going back. That's just beautiful. I think it does vary. I think in the strictest of lockdowns when we were remote learning with our children, it's really hard to get some stuff done at, at home. But now that kids are back at school and we are able to actually focus, we're much more productive. But it's interesting to me because innovation is just totally the key in all of this, right? Like we never have we had to dig as creatively as when there's a global pandemic. And much of what the universities do are not much different from, say, 100 years ago. You know, is technology changing the education sector? Oh, technology has and continues to just transform the education sector. Like, yeah, I mean, think about it. When I think back to when I was at uni 100 years ago <laughs> and I had to go, go into the library to photocopy that chapter of that book. I mean, it's sitting in lectures. It, it was It's crazy different. And, I mean, the real power of online education is that it does and should put the learning back solely in the hands of the learner so you should be able to drive your own learning experience what you learn when you do it how much you take on when you need support that sort of thing so it really should fit into your life unfortunately with the universities it's still a bit the other way so you know the learning can be really really good or really bad depending on the unit and what sort of faculty it comes from. It can be really 
inconsistent, but we still work in in semesters and sort of academic teaching periods. Yeah, which is good in a way because you've got deadlines, you know. And I'm going through more postgraduate work at the moment, and I've got to have a dissertation put in by the 15th of October. And I'm like, but why? <laughs> why 15th of October? You know, why can't I have until Christmas? It's very sort of you've got to do it. Oh, it's flexible, but it's not flexible. So I think that's a real shame because that's where the power is, being online. It's more accessible than it's ever been before. You know, really anybody can do it from anywhere and that's really, really powerful. So I think they're missing an opportunity there in having it not that accessible to everybody. And also when we started Cal, we wanted to stay away from funding or, you know, government loan schemes because we wanted to keep it affordable. So when you're looking at a diploma, you can pay between four and $6,000 for the whole thing. And again, when you're back at university, you pay per subject and it can be between two and $4,000 per subject. Yeah. So when you, I mean, that's when, I mean, it adds up for your bachelor or your grad cert or your grad dip. So it's not necessarily still as accessible financially. So I just think, um, yeah, there's, if we're going online, I mean, there are things to consider. It shouldn't be sort of a set and forget exercise like oh I've put all of my face-to-face materials online and that's now it's online and it's not yeah yeah um there's a lot more work to do than that and when you go online yes you've got flexibility and yes you've got accessibility and that's great but you also lose social learning which is a huge part of the way we learn you lose the experiential learning which is adults when we're making it contextual we're embodying that content you can lose that and you lose the on-the-spot feedback and the peer support. Yeah. You can't put up your hand and ask a question of your teacher in the classroom. And when you're coming back to study as an adult, which is confronting already. In and of itself, yeah. Yeah, and if you can't ask that question or get that feedback, that's often the first hurdle that we get to and we quit. Right. Because it's like, oh, this is so hard, I'm never going to get it. So you've got to be so timely and supportive to catch those people to be like, no, no, we can do it. We just need to do it together. And then when you get to the next hurdle, you'll be able to do it. It's really not a big problem. And because you don't have that peer support, you can't turn to the person next to you and be like, oh, I'm feeling really insecure and, and really vulnerable. Are you? I feel really stupid. Oh, yeah, no, I do too. You know, you don't have that sort of shared learning experience. So there's a lot of work to do to make it online learning, not just dump and run of content. Yeah. And I think what COVID uh, has shown us is that, you know, the word pivot got kicked around a lot. Mm, That's weird. Yeah. And people started putting their, uh, if they did face-to-face workshops, they just started putting it online. They didn't take into consideration that you need a pee break and you need time and Zoom is really different or or Teams, whatever it is, is really different to -to face-to-face learning. And I felt a little bit sad for those businesses that just thought that they would just pop it online and that was it because that's not that's not even consideration for your audience, yeah? Yeah, it's so true. Oh, we'll just do, you know, our same three-hour lecture on Zoom. Gosh. And also the support of that, you know, I felt really sorry for sort of bigger businesses who like their entire kind of support structure system collapsed because they had people you know, thousands of people submitting help requests or wanting to book in or sending in emails and it couldn't cope with the with the capacity. So it takes a lot of consideration. It takes a lot of planning and a lot of thought to get it 
right? And it, it is continuously evolving and changing. The way we learn is changing. It will change again after COVID. So it's got to have constant attention. Yeah, totally. I mean, uh, my next question was about how stuff has changed for you in your career, but I think we've just spent a bit of time talking about just since 2009 and then it shifted to 2014 when you went online and now we've gone through the biggest global pandemic that we that we will see in our lifetimes probably, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, but I'm just curious, what advice do you have for someone who's looking to either improve themselves and their careers or perhaps someone who's stuck in their current role or company? Mm, Yeah, it's a big question and I think it comes from, you know, some of the changes that we've spoken about because in my workplace now, I mean, there's huge, vast amounts of different generations and age groups and that's always been the case. I think the difference is change is so constant in workplace now. Even before COVID, it was the change from technology and automation, even if your role wasn't removed it's been augmented so the difference in communication the difference in attitude towards change is really obvious to me now and having that sort of innovation mindset which then changes the expectations of skills in the workplace and in jobs you know gone are the days where you can just have the same job and have your arbitrary performance management session and tick a box to get your pay rise you know it's not like that anymore you've got to be really agile and and on your toes you've got to be always thinking and growing and changing and evolving and I would say in order to improve yourself and improve your career or as an adjunct to that future-proof your career and future-proof yourself I would say you just cannot stay still you've got to just continuously push yourself outside of your comfort zone and work in in that realm so that you feel comfort in the discomfort. And I know that sounds really abstract and probably really annoying. (laughs) But what I mean is if you're in a position where you're feeling, you know, on the hierarchy of competence, if you're in a position where you're working in unconscious competence and and you nail it and you've been there for ages and it's great and you, you kill it and you're confident in it, I would say that's a point where you should shift and change. So you should actually find a way to go back to the bottom and start again and really use that muscle of learning something new and get comfortable with how that feels. And I don't know, I would just do it over and over and over again, even if it's not got to do with your role or where you thought your career would take you, you know, really sort of dig deep and find something that either makes your heart sing or you're interested in. And really like, so I know that's also a buzzword at the moment, but like really lean into that feeling of discomfort. And I mean, I lost a star employee this year during COVID. She was doing some PD outside of her role and we celebrate that. We love that. We were right behind her, but then she loved it so much. (laughs) She left (laughs) and went into that job, which was bittersweet because I was like, no, but yay for you. And, And as she was leaving, she turned to me and she said, I've made a huge mistake. I love working here. I, you know, I love being in this company and I probably, what if I hate it? What if it's awful? And I said, well, you can't stay here. You know, you have to go and you have to go because you're scared. You know, you can't stay in, in this job. She was in compliance and she was terrific at it, but there was nowhere to go. And I think, you know, on the, when you look at the 
the cycle of change, she was in that valley of despair, if you like, and she had the two choices. She could turn back and say, oh, no, I'm comfortable here. I'm, I'm competent here. I'm good at this job. I'll stay here. Or she can move forward and hope that there's an upswing and then feel good about that decision. So I would say just get comfortable with continuously learning and growing and getting over those barriers. I think your staff are so lucky to have you as their CEO. I think um, you're super brave and vulnerable and I love that about you. And I think that wouldn't it be nice if everyone was just being pushed to be the best, they could just be better, do better, just embrace the learning. And if it's uncomfortable, it's probably a good thing. We don't want to sit in comfort for too long. There's no growth there. Yeah, I think the the mindset has to change from, oh, no, what does this mean for my job? Am I going to be fired? To, oh, my God, this is amazing. What's my role in it? What do I need to learn and how can I contribute? So really shifting that sort of fear mindset of change and what's happening to how exciting and what's next. And I know that's a big shift for people, but when you're on that train, it just becomes a different story because the world opens up to you. Yeah, totally. I was going to ask some tips on your own journey, but I'm pretty sure you've just given them to us. <laughs> uh, but where, if people are interested and they're thinking, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing some extra study, where would they go? How would they find you? Uh, that's a good question. <laughs> I don't know why I have a day. <laughs> I know where they'll find you. <laughs> they'll find you in the pub drinking beers. <laughs> I'm like, you can find me in the dog park or you can find me in the pub. <laughs> I'm going to get my nails done later. You can find me there. No, uh, you can find us at collegefradultlearning.edu.au. Uh, you can also find me on LinkedIn if you want to link up. Uh, but yeah, everything you need is on our website. Thank you. What a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for being brave and coming on this podcast with me. Thank you so much for having me. It's been amazing to hear about the journey and um, I even learned some things about Sarah that I didn't know, so I'm excited. (laughs) Thank you. Love that. (laughs) It's been awesome. (laughs) That's it for this episode of Tea with the Queen. If you love this episode, let me know. I would love to hear from you. And you're very welcome to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to contact me directly, all my details are at my website, emmamcqueen.com.au. I look forward to your company next episode. I'm Emma McQueen. Thanks for listening. <laughs>